Father, we, we, we need to hear from you. And I pray you'd help us want to hear from you. You would work in our hearts and our minds and just give us the truth that we need to live lives in relationship with you, in right relationship with others, making a difference in this world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in the book of Revelation, and we are looking at chapters 2 and 3, where the Lord Jesus Christ has seven messages for seven churches. And at the end of each of the messages, it says the same thing. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches which tells us that these messages weren't just meant for the specific churches they were initially addressed to, but they're for everyone who's got an ear to hear. And that what Jesus says to each church, he says to every church. And so we're, we're asking the Lord to give us ears to hear what he would want to say to you, what he would want to say to me, what he wants to say to all of us. And today we come to the sixth message, to the church in Philadelphia, not Pennsylvania, but the original Philadelphia uh, in Asia Minor, what is now the nation of Turkey. So we're going to uh, read Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. I invite you to follow along, grab your Bible, use one that's in the rack in front of you. Here we go. Revelation 3, 17, uh, 7 through 13. These are the words of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little power, little strength. Yet you have kept my name and have not kept my word and not denied my name. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon, so hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what was wrong with the church in Philadelphia? Can I get used to asking that question? Because each church we've read, except for one so far, has had some something wrong with it. What's wrong with Philadelphia? Nothing, apparently. 
or nothing much because Jesus does not reprimand them in any way. Doesn't mean they were perfect because there is no such thing as a perfect church. I like to say that periodically just to remind us. Why is that? Because churches are made up of people. People aren't perfect, therefore no church is perfect. But this church, they were faithful to him. They were faithful. And they didn't have any big issue of disobedience that Jesus needed to address. And yet, this faithful, obedient church was having trouble. Big trouble. Which just reminds me again, we've really got to stop thinking that if we'd just be really faithful to the Lord and just do everything he wanted us to do, we'd never have any problems. I don't know why that is my default way of thinking, because the Bible never says that. Jesus never promised that. In fact, he promised this. In this world, you will have trouble. I don't know what's so hard about that to grasp, but there it is. And this church was experiencing that. Verse 10, for example, talks about them enduring patiently. Well, you don't endure good times, right? If you're enduring, things are tough. Things are hard. And apparently what was going on is they were experiencing a lot of opposition from their community, particularly by those who belonged to the local synagogue And they were feeling pressure to deny Jesus. Jesus commends them for not doing that. So apparently they were being pressured to do that. What's going on? Probably many of them, if not most of them, were Jews who had become convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, but the leadership of the synagogue was convinced that was a lot of baloney, that was heresy, that was blasphemy. And so the leaders considered them traitors for becoming followers of Jesus. And in all likelihood, it kicked them out. Kicked them out of the synagogue. Told them not to come back. Imagine that. Imagine getting kicked out of the place where you had learned about God. Where you worshipped God. Where you enjoyed the company of God's people. You get kicked out. That door's shut. And the door was closed to them because they would not deny Jesus. They wouldn't renounce him as Lord. How do you think that made those Christians feel? Do you think they felt happy because they were doing the right thing against strong opposition? Maybe. I hope so. But I think the main thing they felt, and the main way they felt, was weak. Jesus says in verse 8 to them, You, I know you have little strength. That tells me they felt inadequate. Inadequate to do the job Jesus had given them to do. To be witnesses in this city they were in. To be bold, to share the good news, to love their enemies, to tell them the good news even though they didn't want to hear it. 
I think when it came to being the church in that town, in Philadelphia, I think, I think they felt like it was more than they could handle. They just weren't strong enough to get it done. They just weren't strong enough to do what Jesus wanted them to do. I think that's how they felt. And that is such an awful feeling. To know that there is something important that you really need to do, that God, you're convinced God wants you to do it, and yet you're just as convinced you can't do it. You just don't have it to do it. And, you know, this could apply to a lot of things. This could be any of a number of things. You know, you could, you could, you could know that you really need to provide for your family. You need to do that. And yet you don't have the qualifications, you don't have the skills, you don't have the opportunity to get the job that you need. Or, or you want to fix some broken relationship. And yet, all your efforts to fix it just go nowhere. Or there's somebody in your life that really needs to know Jesus. <laughs> and yet, your feeble attempts to reach out to them are totally unsuccessful. Or what you really need what you know really needs to happen is you really need to change you. You need to overcome some bad habit. You need to change some lousy attitude. You need to start some new routine in your life. You need to change yourself. But apparently, you lack the ability to do it. You just can't manage it. You can't get it done. And, and whatever it is, whatever it is, it makes you feel inadequate, incapable, weak. You have little strength. And so you're tempted to despair, to just say, I can't do it. I just can't do it. So why, why should I even try? I want you to know that if that feeling, if, if you're at all familiar with that feeling, I want you to know the Lord of the churches has something to say to you here. I want you to notice how Jesus deals with this church, with these people who were faithful to him, but who had little strength. Would you notice Jesus doesn't criticize them for having little strength. He doesn't chew them out. He doesn't reprimand them. He doesn't scold them for being inadequate. In fact, what he does is something very different. What he does is draw their attention away from their inability, and he puts it on something else. He puts it on his ability. He doesn't, call, this is so important to get, he doesn't call them to greater effort. 
He calls them to a different focus. His message is this. If you feel weak, if you feel inadequate, if you don't measure up, can anybody relate? Don't despair at the strength you lack. Rejoice in the strength he has. Shift your focus. Get off your inadequacy and look at his adequacy. Don't despair at the strength you lack. Rejoice in the strength he has. It's not about trying harder. It's about looking elsewhere. When you were a little kid, did you ever feel your dad's muscles? Maybe sometime when he picked you up and you were there and you could, you could just feel his chest, you could feel his arms, and you just thought, wow, my dad is really big. He's strong. I, so I don't need to worry about how little I am. Because he's going to take care of me. He can do it. It gives you confidence. Well, that's kind of what we're going to do here today. We're going to kind of feel Jesus' muscles. So that we can be confident that our inadequacy is never a problem if we're relying on him. I'm going to summarize what Jesus says here about his strength in four statements. Okay, first one. Jesus has the strength no one can resist. He has a strength no one can resist. No one. No one. Nobody, not anyone, no one. Doesn't matter who you might run up against in this world, how big they are, how numerous they are, how well organized they are, how mean they are, how organized they are. Jesus is always stronger. Doesn't mean he'll always do what you want him to do. But anybody who goes up against him is no match. He's always stronger. Why? Because of who he is. That's the point of verse 7. Jesus says, this is what the one who is holy and true says, or, or more directly, more plainly, he says, the holy one, the true one. What's he saying? Well, <laughs> this... <laughs> This might seem pretty outrageous, but what he's saying here is he's God. That's what he's saying. Because when the Bible says the Holy One, that's who it's talking about. Hosea 11.9, For I am God, not man, the Holy One among you. Isaiah 47.4, Our Redeemer, the Lord Almighty is His name, is the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 40.25, To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Which means that the strength of Jesus is the strength of God. Oh, don't just whip past that. Let that sink in. The strength 
of Jesus is the strength of God. Jesus' muscles are God's muscles. You'd think that maybe that would just kind of end the discussion right there. You know, hey, how strong is how strong is Jesus? Well, he's God. He's the creator. So all the stars in all of the galaxies in the entire universe, all, all those stars out there, including ours, the sun, which is so hot, so powerful, you can feel it from 93 million miles away. And all of the rest of the stars and all the galaxies in the entire universe, all of that power is from him. You'd think that ought to settle the issue. But see, maybe that's just kind of too abstract for us. Maybe we just can't quite wrap our minds uh, over that lofty concept. So there's more. It says Jesus holds the key of David. That means he has the authority to rule the world as God's chosen king. See, he's not just God. He's man. And, And this means that he is the man. (laughs) He's the man with the greatest authority over all men because God promised David that his descendant would rule the nations. Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah, he has the power to rule this world. So, see, his power is not just out there somewhere just out there in space somewhere. He has the authority to rule over anyone and anything on this planet. Okay, now in case that's still too abstract for us, he says this, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. That's pretty plain, right? That doesn't require a lot of explanation. Okay, if he opens... It's staying open. If he shuts it, it's staying shut. Period. In other words, his strength is utterly irresistible. You you can't overpower him. You can't overcome him. You just can't. He's got the strength that no one can resist. Now, what does he do with that irresistible strength here? Well, he opens a door for his people. Verse 8, see, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Does that sound kind of, I don't know, lame? (laughs) He's got all the power in the universe. He opens a door. Really? A door? Okay, but I want you to think about I want you to think about these people in Philadelphia. And I want you to imagine how much that would have meant to them. To these Christians who had been kicked out of the synagogue and told never to come back. It would have been very easy with that closed door. It would have been very easy for them to feel like they had been shut out of God's house. And Jesus says, don't worry about that. Don't you worry about that shut door. Because I've opened a door for you that nobody's going to shut. 
the door to my kingdom. The door to my father's house, I've opened it for you. You're coming in. And no one's going to stop you. See, it's not lame. It's awesome. It's awesome. He has the strength no one can resist. Second, second statement, he has the strength to soften the hardest hearts. There's a saying in the book of Proverbs, goes like this. It's uh, from Proverbs 18. An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. In other words, when somebody who knows you has come to the conclusion that you are a total jerk because of something you did or said or whatever, when somebody who knows you has decided you're a jerk, you'd have an easier time conquering a well-defended city than in changing that person's mind. That's the way we are. Softening uh, hard hearts, that's, that's tougher than winning a battle. But Jesus can do it. In fact, he's already done it. In your life, if you've come to the place of receiving him into your life to forgive you and to lead you to be your Savior and Lord, he's already done it. Because, see, at one time you had a hard heart. Your heart was hard. I don't care how young you were. You had a hard heart. Because that's our natural condition. Which is basically, we want to be God. We want to be God of our lives. We want to decide for ourselves what's best. And so we ignore, we dishonor, we reject the real God. Even if we're religious, even if we're very proper, the heart is hard. Left to ourselves. It's what Isaiah 53, 6 was talking about. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. The shepherd's out in front saying this way, and we go, no, I think over here is better. You realize what that comes down to. It's like, man, God, you're, you're not as smart as me. I think your ways are stupid. Hard heart. Then along comes Jesus, the good shepherd, and he calls us. John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. So if you've said yes to Jesus, he's already softened your hard heart. Okay, but maybe there's somebody you know whose heart is ultra hard. Okay? Not interested in Jesus at all. Not willing to discuss him convinced he's a fake, he's a fraud, or he's just a myth. Thinks Christians are a bunch of fools. Thinks Christianity is a farce. Well, that's pretty much what those people in Philadelphia thought who were opposing the church. You know, they thought Christians Christians were the worst. They were traitors to God. They weren't just unbelievers. They were blasphemers to call Jesus Lord. They were truly offended brothers. And yet one day, Jesus says, they're going to come and they're going to bow at your feet 
And they're going to say, you were right. We were wrong. The love of Jesus is real. And you've got it. Don't despair at your inability to change somebody's mind about Jesus. You know, that's not our job anyway. It really isn't. Our job is to proclaim him, to present him, to share the good news, to pray for those people, but to share the good news and to, and to live it out, to show that it's authentic. But we can't change anybody's mind. We don't have the power to do that. Jesus does. So take the problem to him. You know, it's really easy to talk about the problem. It's really easy to be concerned about the problem, to fret about this person, to wonder what in the heck is God doing? I don't get this. And to fret and to worry. I think if we'd pray about that person as much as we fret and worried about that person, we might just be amazed at what Jesus would do. So take that hard heart to Jesus. He has the strength to deal with it. Third statement. He has the strength to get you through the hardest times. Verse 10. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole earth to test those who live on the earth. Now there's a lot of debate about this verse. Christians have been argumentative for a long time. What is this hour of trial? When does it happen? What exactly is it? And is Jesus going to keep his people safe by taking them out of this time or by preserving them within this time when all hell breaks loose? I'm not going to settle the debate. Because I don't think that's the point. I don't think that's the point. The point is that Jesus has the power to deliver these people from their worst experience, and he's going to do it. That's the point. He's going to get them through it. And isn't that what you need to know when you're going through a terrible time? That Jesus has the power and the desire to get you through it? I quoted John 16.33 earlier. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. Now let's look at the rest of the verse. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. I've told you these things because I want you to have peace. I want you to have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He overcame the world for you. He overcame the world for me. He overcame the world for anyone who will put their trust in Him. No matter how ugly it gets, and it can get really ugly, but no matter how ugly it gets, no matter how desperate you may feel, no matter how hopeless things look, if you put your life in Jesus' hands, then guess what? Your future is good. 
In spite of what your present is, your future is good. In fact, way beyond good. Your future is phenomenal. And he's going to make it happen. Romans 8, 38. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has the strength to get you through your hardest stuff. And that brings us to one more. He has the strength to make you his forever. He has the strength to make you his forever. Verse 12. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. Now those are powerful symbols. Let's take the verse one. He's going to make you a temple, uh, I mean a pillar in the temple of God. What is that saying? It means you have a secure, permanent place in the presence of God. And you're never, ever, 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 ever going to have to leave. Ever. In other words, you're never going to do anything stupid and get thrown out. When you're in, you're in. Permanently. And then there's these names that Jesus writes on those who overcome. You know, what is this? Some kind of tattooing thing? It's a symbol. Names are written on something are symbols of ownership, of belonging. You go down, come down and uh, come into my office, grab a book off my shelf, you open it up. Every single book is stamped with the same words. They all say, from the library of Scott G. Roberson. Why? Because they're my books. And if you borrow it, I want you to remember who it belongs to and bring it back. See, we write our names on things that are important to us. We write our name on something that we want to keep. So does Jesus. On those who are his, he stamps his name in triplicate. It's like on every single one who belongs to him, it says, property of God. Citizen of God's city, bought and paid for by God's son. He puts his name on the things that matter to him, the things he wants to keep. That's us. When he makes you his, he makes you his forever. Okay, but maybe... This message is not encouraging you at all. Because of those three words in verse 12, him who overcomes. And you think, but that's the problem. I'm not overcoming. I don't have the strength to overcome. 
I can't do the things I need to do. That's where this message started, remember? So now you're saying there's all this great stuff that's true of those who overcome. I don't have the strength to overcome. I can't do it. This isn't helping me. This doesn't apply to me. Now I want to say this gently but firmly. If that's what you're thinking, you've missed the whole point. The point of the message, the point of this letter, is that these people have little strength, and Jesus has a lot of strength. That's what he's been telling them. Which he exerts on their behalf. Now it would make no sense, you're not going to tell them all that. And then say, okay now, it's all up to you. I know, I've told you how weak you are and how strong I am, but hey, you know, the way it works is, it's all up to your strength, not mine. So you better start getting strong, people. I sure hope you can pull it off, because it's all up to you. That would make no sense at all. How do we overcome? How do we overcome? How do we overcome? Not by relying on our strength, but relying on His. Not what we can do, what He does. We don't overcome by our efforts, we overcome by relying on His. That's what overcoming means. It means trusting in Jesus and not in yourself. It means putting your confidence in Him, depending on Him. You have little strength. He's got a lot of strength. So ask him for his. That's what he's saying. He wants to exert his strength on your behalf. So rely on him. Say, well, yeah, what does that look like? It looks like praying. Not because praying is a hard work you got to do in order to be good enough, but praying because you're saying, I can't do it. Jesus, I need you to help me. And you, so you pray about everything because you need him in everything. It looks like trusting his promises. And when you start feeling like, okay, I'm just a total loser. God couldn't possibly love me. You remember the promise that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor anything in all creation can possibly separate you from the love of God. And you say, okay, I don't feel it, but I'll go with it. It looks like relying on his instructions, which again does not mean, okay, I got this list of things to do in order to get in or I won't make it. It looks like I'm desperate here. I don't know how to live life. How am I supposed to live life? I got to go his way. I don't know how to be a good husband. Well, what does God say about being a good husband? Follow his directions about being a good wife, about being a good parent, about living life in a way that is in relationship with others. And so whatever he says, you go, okay, well, I don't know how to do it. So I guess I'll do it his way. That's relying on him. So everything he says, you see, if he says, I mean, I need other believers in my life. I need to be sharing my life. I need to be connected with people and they encourage me and I encourage them and we worship God together. Then I say, okay. Relying on his strength. Not on ours. 
it looks like living as if you really believe you really need him. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, those who wait on the Lord, those who rely on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eels. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You, my friend, have little strength, but don't despair because he has a lot of strength and he wants to exert it on your behalf. You know, Jesus says to these people, you have not denied my name. You've held on. It doesn't take a lot of strength to hold on to Jesus because he does all the heavy lifting. It doesn't take a lot of strength to hold on to Jesus. You know what it takes? A lot of humility. A lot of humility to admit that you have little strength and you need his. Let's, uh, let's bow together and pray. And I just want you to uh, feel free to right now go to him and honor him who is strong by admitting that you're weak in whatever area you need to admit it, wherever you feel inadequate, wherever you feel like a failure, wherever you feel you're falling short. And just say, Lord, I, I have little strength, but you have a lot of strength. And I need your strength, so will you please help me? Just talk to him about whatever it is. And if you've never said yes to him, I would encourage you to ask him this morning to soften your heart. And just come to him and say, Lord, I need you. Will you save me? Will you forgive me? Will you open that door for me? Father in heaven, thank you for such a powerful Savior. Will you please help us to get our attention off of ourselves and our strength or lack of it and put our focus on our Savior who has all the strength we'll ever need. Help us with this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.